Well, so the title of the message this morning is The Impact of the Kingdom of God, Part 2. Last week we looked at Part 1. And this morning I want to continue with that message. If you have um, been paying at all attention to the news, you know that one of the very big stories right now are the rising tensions uh, and the escalation of buildup between Russia and Ukraine. With Russia putting in, I think, close to 150,000 troops, it might be higher than that. They basically have surrounded the Ukraine, and no one knows what is going to happen. Right now, there's diplomacy going on, but no one knows. But it's already having a serious impact. We're talking about impact. Well, this is a serious impact, as the United States has already recalled its, uh, the, the families of our diplomats. We've called them to leave the Ukraine. There are Ukrainians who have to decide, do they remain in their house or do they leave in the midst of winter and become refugees? There are some huge ramifications of all this. Now, we are part of a family of churches called Grace Partnership, and one of our sister churches is in Rivne, Ukraine. Uh, He pastors, uh, Volodymyr pastors a church called the, the Hosanna Full Gospel Church in Ukraine. And so I thought of him and I wondered, how are they doing? So I texted Aaron Osborne and I just said, hey, have you heard from Valdemir at all during this period of time? And he sent me back a text with a a picture, uh, a a photo of him sitting next to Valdemir. He says, great timing. He says, I'm with Valdemir right now in Ukraine having coffee. And um, so he just wrote back and he said that there is a sense of calm uh, there, is, uh, there is a sense of realism, but the people there are not fatalistic. They have lived with this for a long time. I mean, there has been kind of a war going on for the last six, seven years that we don't know much about, but it's been, it's been there. The tensions are there. So I texted back asking Aaron to let Valdemir know and his church know that we are praying for them. And I do ask you to please keep... Uh, Valdemir and his family, the beautiful family, the beautiful church they have, and just the, the, the nation of Ukraine and the peoples of Ukraine, keep them in your prayer. We are to pray for, for governments. We are to pray for people. Um, and God hears those prayers. So I, I ask you to pray for them. But I closed the, the text out by saying this. I, I wrote, God is sovereign over the affairs of men. God is sovereign over the affairs of men. Sovereign and sovereignty is a kingdom word. A sovereign is a supreme king. A sovereign nation like the Ukraine is a nation that has power to govern itself and supreme authority over its population and its territory. World history has been really a struggle and a skirmish of sovereignty. Who rules who? Wars are fought over sovereignty. That's what's at stake in Eastern Europe, whether the Ukraine will remain sovereign as a nation or whether it will become a satellite of Russia ruled by Russia. Who rules who? Now, what I want to kind of do is, is remind us this, there's no bigger question really in, in history and in our lives than that question, who rules who? I mentioned last week that we in America, we don't think in terms of kingdom because we have a democracy. 
We don't really even want a king. But we may not think in terms of kingdom, but we live in terms of kingdom. We live under a rulership. Who rules who? That's what was at stake in the Garden of Eden. Would Adam and Eve obey God? Or would they listen to Satan? And we know the story. They chose wrong. And they lost their close walk with God. They lost their place in Eden. They lost the fellowship. Sin and death entered the world. Their first son murdered their second son. All the wars, the killing, the heartache, all entered into the human race. And it traces it back to the question, who rules who? I made the point there are ultimately only two kingdoms on earth. I mean, there are kingdoms, but there are only two sovereign kingdoms on earth. Everyone is a part of one kingdom or the other, bar none. God meant for mankind to have dominion over the earth, but not as sovereign over the earth. We were to have dominion over the earth as viceroys under the authority of God and his good rulership. The temptation that the devil came to Adam and Eve was that they could rule the world as their own gods. They could be the gods of this world. Skip the middleman, go right to Godhood. My will be done rather than God's will be done. And when they chose that, without knowing it, they gave, they gave while still having dominion over the earth, they now gave the vice regency, the sovereignty of that, that rulership to Satan. Now, we're not going to get too deep into this, but... The earth belongs to the Lord and the fullness thereof. Amen? Satan's not the Lord or God of this planet. God is. But the kingdoms, the authorities, the culture, all the streams of mankind are under the power, under the rule of Satan. We know that because Jesus was tempted, Satan said, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Every kingdom from beginning to end, I will give them to you if you will bow down and worship me. And he could say that because he has authority over the kingdoms of the world. To varying degrees, they all are under his rulership. Now here's the thing, when sin came in, it changed our citizenship so that we are born not as king citizens of heaven but as citizens of the dark kingdom of satan and the devil so the good news of the kingdom jesus came his first message was the good news he proclaimed and he demonstrated the good news of the kingdom and that good news is jesus came to transfer our citizenship from the dark kingdom into the kingdom of jesus christ into the kingdom of light and we read from colossians chapter one i want to read it again where Paul, in part of his prayer, he says, we are giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. 
For he has rescued us from the dominion, that is the kingdom or rulership of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So through faith in Jesus Christ and all that he accomplished on Calvary, we are transferred When we put our faith in Christ, we are transferred from Satan's kingdom into God's kingdom and and qualified, qualified for heaven. Jesus took our passports and he naturalized us as citizens of heaven. He stamped it on their citizen. When we trust in Christ, he stamps on our papers, citizen of heaven. Isn't that good news? Isn't that great news? We are citizens of heaven. And we are citizens from the moment we believe in Christ. But one day we'll open our eyes to see the glory of that kingdom. When we close our eyes in this earth, we'll open our eyes to see the glory of that kingdom. All of that is not because of anything we did or didn't do. It is because of what Jesus did. What I want us to look at this morning is that Jesus didn't come only to get us into the kingdom. Jesus came to get his kingdom into us. He didn't just come to open the door so that when we die, we go into the kingdom of heaven. He came to bring the good rulership of Jesus Christ into our lives right now, right here. He came To be our king. And we his happy subjects. Who rules who? Who rules your life? For the Christian, there is only one answer. It is Jesus Christ rules my life. He is my king. He doesn't come in any other form. Jesus is not the Burger King where you can have him your way. You know, I'll take his Savior, I'll take him as Savior, I'm not going to take him as Lord. That is not an option. Who rules who? For the believer, Jesus Christ is our ruler. Now, I want us to look at, we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is all about the kingdom of God. It is all about how the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of the earth. The values of the kingdom are different than the values of the kingdom of earth. And so he on, Jesus just has this beautiful sermon that brings us into the kingdom of God. And then at, near the end, after warning about false prophets who come like wolves in sheep's clothing, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, He says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Wow. Those are the words no one ever wants to hear. 
away from me. Depart from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. Those are the words that no one ever wants to hear. And it strikes me that Jesus says many on that day will call him Lord and remind him they did great things in his name only to hear him say, the kingdom's gates are closed to you. Depart from me. Wow. Now I want you to notice, they do not say, didn't we try to prophesy? Didn't we try to do great miracles? Didn't we try to cast out demons in your name? No, he said, they, we did this. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did mighty miracles in your name. They did them. In the name of Jesus. I, I think that's kind of scary, amen? That's kind of scary. And so I think the legalist in us would think, man, if they, if all they did wasn't enough to get them into the kingdom of heaven, what chance do I have? What chance can I have if they don't get into the kingdom? How can I possibly get into it? And the legalist in us would say that, and the legalist in us would be missing the point. Because the point is they're bringing to Jesus all that they did as their credentials. Those gates should be open to us because of what we did in your name. We prophesied in Jesus' name. We cast out demons. We did miracles. We healed. We spoke in Jesus' name. We did this in Jesus' name. That in Jesus' name. Look at what we did, Jesus. Their confidence is in the good works that they did, and they think those things should surely be enough to open the doors of the kingdom and say, come on in. But what we see is that while they were doing, I assume, good works, something inside was very, very wrong. Something was very wrong. Jesus was talking about those who are sheep on the outside. Surface sheep. Hey, come on in. we got some grass here for you to eat. But on the inside, they're ravenous wolves. They're like, thank you. I would like to come in, but I'm not interested in the grass. I want to eat you. They are wolves on the inside. Jesus is talking about those who on the outside say, Lord, Lord. But they are not followers. They are not following him. They don't do the will of the Father. Jesus says, we never knew each other. You don't do the will of the Father. You know what you do? You do evil. You are, he calls them, evil doers. Evil doers. Jesus says, only those who do the will of my Father in heaven will enter the kingdom. So it might be very important for us to know, what is the will of the Father? 
If that's the only way to get into the kingdom of heaven, what is his will? Well, Jesus tells us in John chapter 6, verse 29, Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. The work and the will of the Father begins with this, that we believe, put all our faith, all our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And just a few verses later, listen to how much Jesus talks about the will of the Father. In verse 37, John chapter 6, verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Don't you praise God for those words? What we just saw in Matthew chapter 7, that doesn't happen to those who come to Jesus. Jesus doesn't, oh, you didn't quite make the uh, cut. I cast you away. No, Jesus says, all who come to me, I will never cast out. You will never be Matthew 7, verse 21. If you come to me, he says, for I have come down from heaven. Listen to this, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone, Everyone, everyone that looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. The Father's will is entirely wrapped up in believing in and coming to Jesus Christ, His Son. So if you have come to Jesus Christ in faith and trust, you have done the biggest step of the will of the Father. You don't have to do miracles. You don't have to cast out demons. You have done the biggest step of the will of the Father. That is the will. It is doing that that opens the gates of heaven. And Jesus says, it's the will of the Father that all those who come to me, those gates never close on them. And they live forever. Now, I want us to go back to Matthew 7. Jesus warns, there are many who do things in his name, things that on the face of it seem like good things, and yet, he says, are evil doers. I want us to continue reading in Matthew 7, verse 24. He says, now I want us to remember, he's just said, depart from me, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. Verse 24, he says, therefore. Therefore. So this is not a whole new subject. There will be many who call in this way and are never, never enter. And I say, depart from me. Therefore. Because of that, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, 
the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Here's the challenge this morning. There is so much that could be said about this parable, and it would also want to take me back into the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we don't have time to do that. So I want to really make this really simple. What I understand Jesus to be saying here at the core is this is about doing what Jesus says. It's not about hearing what Jesus says. You say, I've been in church for 20 years. I have heard every sermon. I've heard every truth. Jesus isn't talking about hearing. That's the second group. He's talking about doing. Everyone who hears and does, hears and does is like the wise person who builds on a rock. The kingdom of God is about doing what Jesus says. The good news of the kingdom is Jesus getting us into the kingdom and Jesus getting the kingdom into us. You can't have one without the other. You can't say, I'm getting into the kingdom, but the kingdom is not at all coming into my life. That doesn't happen. The kingdom of God is wherever Christ rules. Faith, we are saved by faith alone, but faith leads to obedience. Saving faith. Following Jesus means following Jesus. Hearing his words don't build our lives on his lordship. Doing what he says builds our lives on his lordship. I think we'll address this. I want to share three very brief points. But This is where the pastoral walk can be a bit of a tight line. Because on the one side, falling off one side can create people that are living legalistically and in fear. Am I doing enough? Am I doing enough of what Jesus says? But there is another side and there is another danger. And that is, I said a prayer. I believe in Jesus. It doesn't affect my life at all. My life doesn't change. I'm not interested in his word. I'm not interested in making any changes, at least not unless they're the ones I want to make. And that side is also in great danger. The believer wants to do what Jesus says. Oh, we fail, we stumble, we falter. And sometimes we don't want to do what he says. But let's unpack this with three, I hope, simple points. First of all, the Lord speaks to our hearts. He says, do what Jesus says from the heart. This is about the heart. 
Do what Jesus says from the heart. The legalist in us tends to focus on externals. Are you doing this? Are you doing that? What's a good Christian? You go to church. You don't curse. You don't drink. You don't smoke. You don't get tattoos. And every church probably has those external rules, and they might differ from church to church. But I can tell Jim is a great Christian. He's always on time. He throws a few bucks in the offering. Or conversely, so-and-so is not a very good Christian. They got a tattoo. They drink alcohol. They go to R-rated movies. And what are we looking at? We're looking at externals. I'm not saying externals are not important. But when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about the work of God in our hearts. The kingdom of God coming overlaying our hearts. And it's heart stuff. It's not externals. The Sermon on the Mount is about kingdom living, but it's what goes on in here. And then expresses itself in what we do. So Jesus calls us to pursue from the heart kingdom qualities such as mercy, peacemaking, love, generosity, secret prayer, secret devotion to the Father, forgiveness, and a love for God. Nothing about throwing a few bucks in the offering there. Maybe in the generosity part. Nothing about tattoos in there. And then Jesus calls us to reject qualities that go against, counter against the grain of the kingdom of God. Things such as anger, rage, hatred, lust, lying, self-righteousness, judgmentalism, and vengeance. Notice it's all heart stuff. You can look great on the outside, have all that junk in your heart. That's why, church, we never want to be a church that's always looking at externals. Because Jesus, Jesus looks at the heart. And the same church that can have all the externals down so good, it just is amazing, can be filled with anger, gossip, jealousy, division, all the things that God speaks about, pride, all the things that God speaks against. That can all be going inside, and everybody looks great on the outside. Jesus says eventually what's in here will come out. And the house will either stand or fall depending on whose will Whose words we built our life on. Do what Jesus says from the heart. Second point for us is embrace his lordship when it goes against the grain. When his lordship goes against the grain. In the gospel of John we see many times where large crowds of people believe in Jesus. Hallelujah. Believe in Jesus. They say we believe in Jesus. Until they don't believe in Jesus. This is a phenomenon particularly described by John. Large crowds believing in Jesus, and then a few verses later, the same large crowds walking away rejecting him. 
So that word belief is not the kind of belief that opens the kingdom gates to us. It is possible to believe in Jesus today and not tomorrow. And that is not the kind of belief that opens the kingdom's gates. You see, when Jesus is doing or saying what they like to hear or see, they believe in him. Oh, they believe in him. And they follow him. But the moment Jesus begins to say or do something, and he always intentionally does, that cuts against what they want, or what they like to hear. They walk away. It's the point where Jesus' lordship comes up against our lordship that most clearly reveals who's ruling who. Who is the Lord? It's the point where what he says goes against the grain. It calls us to forgive someone we do not want to forgive. Love someone we don't want to love. That his lordship most clearly is revealed in our life. If we walk away at that moment, if we say, you're not doing what I want you to do, Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't do what we want him to do. Jesus is the king of the universe. There is no higher sovereign. We are to do what he calls us to do. Now, there's a point in the Gospel of John when all those large crowds have walked away from Jesus and Jesus turns to his 12. He started with hundreds, maybe thousands, and he's down to 12 people. And he turns to them and he says, will you leave as well? Are you going to leave as well? And Peter says, to whom are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. I, I kind of get in that from Peter that, hey, we're not totally thrilled with what you just said. But where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. There's only one key that opens the kingdom gates. That's you. Where are we going to go? We're with you. That is saving faith. That is saving faith. The faith that says, I don't even like what the Lord is saying right now. I'm struggling with this big time. This is hard. It cuts against the grain. But God says it. Who are we going to go to? I'm not walking away from Jesus because he, his kingship has, because I'm telling you this, if he is your king, only when you want him to be your king and only when you want, when he's doing what you want him to do, he's not your king. You're your king. Embrace his lordship even when, maybe especially when it goes against the grain. Finally, surrender to his lordship again and again. Again, I wish we had more time to spend on the entire Sermon on the Mount, but simply, we could never reach the high bar that the Sermon on the Mount sets for us. We could never reach it. I mean, it is, it is the Ten Commandments on steroids. It really is. Now listen, we learn in the New Testament that the Ten Commandments were not given to us so that we keep them and go to heaven. They were given to us as a schoolmaster to drive us to Christ in faith. Now if the Ten Commandments are such that we could never do them and it drives us to Christ, the Sermon on the Mount, even more so.
drives us to Christ. It reveals our inability to do this perfectly. It reveals our inability to do enough to enter the kingdom of heaven on our own merits and drive us to desperation to Christ for his grace and his mercy. And thank God, that's where the good news of the kingdom is that he came to do, to accomplish our salvation. So we trust in him. He opened the gates of the kingdom to us. But then, by his Holy Spirit, he begins to open the the gates of our heart to his kingdom. And we begin to want more of his rulership and leadership and kingship in our lives. The first happens the moment we believe. The moment you believe in Christ, bang, you're a citizen of heaven. The second is a lifelong faltering process of yielding to his lordship again and again and again. There's an old saying, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. I get what they're trying to say. But raise your hand if Jesus is absolute sovereign Lord over every single area of your life and you never disobey him in any area. Yeah, (laughs) I saw somebody raise their hand and put it down because they realized what I was saying. So I like what John Piper says. It's a lifetime of faltering and yielding again and again and again. But that's the Christian life. The Christian life is not, I'm just going my own way. I got saved. I don't have to think about Jesus. Got the insurance policy in the drawer. I'll bring it out when I die. That's not the Christian life. A lifetime of growing in yieldedness. We can't obey Jesus perfectly, but we can obey Jesus increasingly. Amen? Let me close with this thought. Jesus is the best king. He's the best king. I mean, all the misery we see, all the broken lives, all the shattered homes, you know, the, the, the winds come and the storms blew and the house devastated. I think that's for some people that comes big time in this life, but for all those who do not listen to him, who do not make him their Lord, that house will shatter on the other side of eternity. Jesus is the best king. He is the one who builds the life that stands when the storms come. The life that isn't barren, that isn't empty, that isn't meaningless. The life that isn't demolished in the end. He is the one. I was touched and inspired uh, yesterday, last night, at Sherry Turn's funeral to hear young and older people so many age brackets get up and share i mean it was probably close to an hour of sharing as people shared how much she had invested in them not just people her age younger people and younger people talking about her her being such a good friend to them caring about them praying with them not judging them pointing unto jesus and I realized, boy, I mean, this, I'm inspired by her life. Because she invested in, G, in people, 
in Jesus' name. And I really think that's a big part of our Savior's heart. I mean, He came to invest in people, touch people's lives, love them to the kingdom, love them back to healing, love them out of sin and desperate emptiness into fullness. And I was blessed by her life, but I also thought that's, that's just she was listening to Jesus. It's Jesus who does that. It's Jesus who does that in our lives. The abundant life is what Jesus came to give us, not the miserable life. If you're living apart from Jesus, you're living the miserable life. You might be fun. You might be having some, some enjoyable moments, but it is miserable because deep inside you're hollow and empty and you recognize this is going nowhere and then I have no hope afterwards. But Jesus came to say, I want to save you out of that life and give you the abundant life of a wonderful life lived to the glory of God. Whether you live for another year or another 50 or 60 years, it's not the length of it that makes it abundant. It's the beauty of Jesus lived in it. The impact of the kingdom of God. The good news is Jesus came to get us into the kingdom. But the, also the good news is he came to get the kingdom into us. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we just thank you so much for such a wonderful Lord. Sometimes, Lord, we're afraid of your lordship. We're afraid of where it might take us. We fear what you might ask of us. But we need not. Because you are the good king. You're the one who builds the strong life and the abundant life. So I pray now that, Lord, our hearts will yield. Maybe there's someone, there's some area that they're walking away from. They're trusting you in other areas, but they're walking away in one area. They're saying, I want to hold on to this, Lord. I pray that you will help us to yield our hearts and lives from the heart to your Lordship. Not in order to earn heaven, but because you've given us heaven. Because you've already put the kingdom into our hearts. We just want to grow in it, Lord. Holy Spirit, do that work in us, we pray. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. I want to, uh, I want to resurrect a, uh, a song that um, is quite old and it's quite simple. Let me just do it real quick here. Sorry, I know that's a little distracting, but it would be more distracting to play the song out of tune. Maybe some of you remember the song, He is Lord. It's an old, old song, but it just feels appropriate for us to close with it.
Let's just sing that together as a congregation. Let's pull the instruments out. if there's some closet in your life some circumstance in your life that you've not surrendered to his lordship to bow the knee to yield it to his lordship you will never regret it Jesus, you are our Lord. The Bible says one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. We happily do that now. On that day, there will be those who confess your Lordship who don't like your Lordship. But we like your Lordship. We love you being our King. You're a good King. Lord, you know the struggles we have. Thank God for mercy, for forbearance, and patience from our God. But Lord, we pray that you'll help us to grow increasingly in our yieldedness to your Lordship. That the question increasingly will be, who rules who in our lives? Jesus rules. He's got my life. He is my King. We love and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If the Lord has been speaking of some area in your life, I just want to encourage you. You know, conviction can be very, very fleeting, very fragile. And I would just encourage you to take that to God. Don't let that go. Respond to that. Respond to it. Take it to God and do what God has put in your heart to do. God bless you.